Good morning. Well, um, it's a beautiful day in Tucson, and on this beautiful day in Tucson, we have the privilege and opportunity to go to Bonnie's uh, care home and sing with, sing for them and be there with them. Uh, women's Bible study, we are actually on our second lesson and um, having more new students show up. So if you want to recommend that, please do. Um, the uh, the lectures are going to be on our website, and John has been doing a wonderful job with that. And we want to thank you, John, for all your service there. Heavenly Father, we do praise and thank you for drawing us here to this place together to bring us into fellowship with one another and with you. We praise and thank you for all that you will do in our hearts through the music and the teaching today. And uh, we offer back this uh, service unto you, Lord, as worship of the living King. And thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, everybody. Pray without ceasing. Men always ought to pray and then not lose heart. A prayer does not have to be the eloquent or contain the language of a theologian. In fact, sometimes our simplest, most heartfelt prayers are the most pleasing to God. When you made your decision for Christ, you became his child, adopted by him into his family forever. Now you have the wonderful privilege of coming directly to him, into his presence, and addressing him as God the Father. In the beginning, you may not be that fluent, but it's not important. The important part is to begin. There was a lady that had a notebook, and she had kept it as the children, her children, were beginning to talk. She treasured the most simplest attempts at speaking, mistakes and all. And she said she would not take anything for that book. When Paul said, pray without ceasing, he chose a term used in his day to describe a persistent cough. Repeatedly throughout your day, we should be turning quickly to God to praise and to thank him and to ask him for his help. God is interested in everything we do, and there's nothing too great or too insignificant for you to share with him. The hope for today do you struggle with knowing what to say when you pray? Paul told his readers to offer thanks and present their requests. Acknowledge your sins and your shortcomings. Thank God for his grace, his gifts, and his guidance. Trust him, knowing that he loves you with an everlasting love.
Testament this morning will be Psalm 138. I will worship you with my whole heart. Before the gods, I will sing praises to you. 
I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name. For your loving kindness and your truth, for you have magnified your word above all your name. And the day when I cried out, you answered me and made me bold with strength in my soul. All the kings of the earth shall praise you, O Lord, when they hear the words of your mouth. Yes, they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. Though the Lord is on high, yet he regards the lowly, but the proud he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. You will stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand will save me. The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Now, if you stand with me, we'll read Psalm 23 together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside his still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness, for name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Okay. <laughs> Come join us. Lord, I'm coming home. Thank you. 
seated. Good morning. Our New Testament reading today comes again from First uh, Timothy. This time it's chapter two, verses one through seven. I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them, intercede on their behalf, and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives, marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. For there is only one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. This is a message God gave to the world at just the right time. And I have been chosen as a preacher and apostle to teach the Gentiles this message about faith and truth. I'm not exaggerating, just telling the truth. Now we're going for the, our longest responsive reading. Uh, <laughs> Please join me. I bind in unto myself today the strong name of the Trinity, by invocation of the same, the three in one, and one in three. I bind this day to me forever by power of faith, Christ's incarnation, baptism in the Jordan River, his death on our cross for our salvation his bursting from the spice tomb, his riding up the heavenly way, his coming at the day of doom, I bind unto myself today. I bind unto myself today the virtues of the starlit heaven, the glorious sun's grief-giving ray, the whiteness of the moon at evening, the flashing of the lightning free, the whirling winds Temptuous shocks, the sable earth, the deep salt sea, around the old eternal rocks. Christ be with me, Christ within me, Christ behind me, Christ before me. Christ beside me, Christ to win me, Christ to comfort and restore me. Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ in quiet, Christ in danger, Christ in hearts of all that love me, Christ in mouth of friend and stranger. I bind unto myself the name, the strong name of the Trinity, by invocation of the same, the three in one and one in three, of whom all nature hath creation, eternal Father, Spirit, and Word. Praise to the Lord of my salvation. Salvation is the Christ of the Lord. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we have much to be thankful for. We have much to ask of you of concerns. And we know that all belongs to you, all came from you. The word 
brought, spoke and brought things in life into being. So Lord, but you've entrusted us, you give back to us. You let us have comforts, have things. Um, most of the best thing is the relationship with you. But to, to support that, we need people to give their gifts, to share their talents. So Lord, the, those gifts that are given today, we ask that they be blessed, they be pleasing in your sight, and that they be used wisely to help spread your word. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Want to rise for the doxology? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yes, that's, that's where we're going. Now, I, I, how many of you have seen The Truman Show? Uh, okay. You know the, you know, the, the story. You, you guys do. The rest of you don't know it. But um, it's the main character played by Jim Carrey. Um, lives in this absolutely ideal world, you know, and he's... He's a businessman, and he, you know, he goes off to work, and everybody loves him, and everything works great. And I mean, just, you know, it's just this incredibly beautiful environment that he lives in, in this little town. It's just absolutely ideal, and there's no hiccups to life. Well, gradually, he begins to, he comes to the understanding through different events that happen, that he's actually on a reality TV show, and he's the star of the show. And, um, and that he's living in this bubble, and literally in a bubble that's, you know, it's like a, a, a dome that, you know, that, that he lives in, and all of this takes place. And everybody knows that this is a reality TV show, except for him. And he's, you know, in his, what, 30s or something like that at that point. And he grew up in, as a reality TV star without knowing it. Well, very, very interesting story. Well, um, as the story goes on, and he begins to realize that, you know, I'm, th this isn't for real. I'm, I'm a character here. And he wants to break out of that. And so eventually the, the show ends with him breaking out of this bubble, uh, this make-believe world, and out into reality. Um, and <clears throat> there are a lot of people in this world who live in a make-believe reality, okay? Um, they, live in a, they live in a world, and, and we all do, to, we all do in, to some extent. We, we, we live with lots of lies that we believe. It, we don't want to, and we don't think we, you know, we don't think we're believing lies, but all of us have areas in which 
lies have, you know, have governed our lives. So the coming to Christ then is a process of us coming to areas of truth each one of our, each, each area in our lives. Um, because if we all knew the truth absolutely in every area, we'd be Jesus. <laughs> because only Jesus knows the truth. Only God knows, you know, the whole truth. You know, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. <laughs> Jesus is, you know, and that's who he is. So that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about, we talked last week, about Jesus as full of grace, and this week we want to talk about Jesus full of grace and truth. So we want to talk about the, the, the part of Jesus being truth, in the quest for truth. Um, philosopher Douglas Gruthius said this about truth. He said, truth is a daunting, difficult thing. It is also the greatest thing in the world. Yet we are chronically ambivalent toward us. We seek it, and we fear it. Our better side wants to pursue truth wherever it leads. Our darker side balks when truth begins to lead us anywhere we do not want to go. Isn't that the, isn't that the truth? I mean, you know, we, 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 we believe in truth, but yet there's a part of us that, that <clears throat> when it gets real uncomfortable, we don't want to go there. Dallas Willard, a former professor of philosophy at UCLA, talked about irresponsible disbelief. <clears throat> that we have areas that we do not believe in truth uh, irresponsibly. Richard Simmons says, Most of the people who reject Christianity know almost nothing of what they are rejecting. I mean, I, you know, I find in my my interactions with people, and you begin to talk to them about a relationship with Jesus, and, and, and they don't know um, what they don't know. And, and most of the time, you, you tell them, well, okay, you know, and, they, and people have these um, statements that they have been taught, it's mostly at school, but on the media and so on, that um, that are against Christianity, against Christ, uh, against the biblical worldview, and they don't know that. And so you say, well, okay, have you read the Bible? Well, no, I'm not going to read the Bible because it's all full of da-da-da-da-da-da-da, and on and on. Well, that's the world that we live in. And in fact, in, in Islam, you know, working with Muslims, we found the easiest way to, uh, to evangelize Muslims is just simply give them a Bible, say, read the Gospel of John. Um, that, that's the way we always, always do it, because once they begin to read the Bible, they go, well, wait a minute. Is, either Islam's right or the Bible's right. One of them, they both can't be right because they contradict in so many different ways. And so uh, that's, you know, that's the way that uh, many Muslims come to Christ. So our text is John chapter 1, verses 14 through 18, which was also our text last week. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of truth. John testifies concerning Him. He cries out, saying, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because He was before me. From the fullness of His grace we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. 
Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So we spent a lot of time on that last week about the, the law and the difference between law and the grace and truth. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. So it says that Jesus was full of grace and truth, and that grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Okay, so what is truth? Um, the word in the, in the Greek is aletheia, and three of, the three of the definitions are these, of the real state of affairs, especially as divinely disclosed truth. So that which is real. Uh, second definition, of the concept of the gospel message as being absolute truth. Third, of reality as opposed to pretense or mere appearance, truth sincerity. Okay, so, so truth is that which is. And a lie is that which is not. Okay, um, and the whole thing of, of lies is that it isn't. It, it's something that doesn't exist. And truth is like a golf ball. When you peel away all the lies, you know, how many of you have ever taken a golf ball apart? You know, I, 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 I kind of spent my childhood on the golf course, and we'd, every now and then we'd, we'd take a golf ball apart, and you'd, you'd, un, you know, you'd undo all the strings that go around it, and there'd be a little core at it. And that's what truth is like, that when we strip away all the lies, we get down to the core, and that is truth, and that is Jesus Christ. And so foundational to our faith as Christians is what we call absolute truth. That there is a rock bottom um, place which is absolute truth. Where everything, you know, where everything comes together. <clears throat> so Jesus didn't come just preaching a new religion. He pointed people to the truth. And he is the truth. And there's one absolute place of truth which is devoid of lies and deception. Isn't that incredible? Yet, you know, somewhere, you know, there, there's a place where all the lies, all the deception, all of that stuff is stripped away, and that's where Jesus is. That is Jesus. And it's an absolute standard of thought and ethics and value, values, a place where everything in the universe narrows down to central ideas, values and ethics. At the center of that universe is the one, guess what, who created the universe and keeps the universe from flying apart. So Jesus is the, you know, is that center. He's the center of the universe. Colossians, we've we, we studied this, studied the book of Colossians, but I'll read it again. Colossians 1.15. He is the image of the invisible God. Talking about Jesus. The firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He not only created all things, but everything that exists is, is put into place, is, is part of this universe, and it is all going to be his. It is his. It was created by him and it is for him. He is before all things. He is pre-existent. He always was. And in him all things hold together. He is the absolute center of everything. That, that force that keeps the universe from flying apart. 
So absolute truth, then, is defined as inflexible reality, fixed, invariable, unalterable facts. For example, it's a fixed, invariable, unalterable fact that there are absolutely no square circles. And there are absolutely no round squares, right? Okay. It is also inflexible reality that there is truth and that Jesus is the truth. We all know there's absolute truth. It seems the more that we argue against it, the more we prove its existence. Reality is absolute, whether you feel like being, you know, whatever you feel like. Philosophically, relativism is contradictory. It cannot exist. Practically, relativism is anarchy. And this is what we have seen a whole lot in the last few years, um, where increasingly our culture is becoming relativistic, um, you know, and, and, and values and saying, well, it's all, you know, it's all relative. There's no absolutes. There's no, there's no core truth. Um, it's all your truth and my truth and so on. We'll talk more about that late, later. The world is filled, we believe, with absolute truth. Okay, so not only is there absolute truth, an absolute fixed center to everything, and, and this, is the, this is the amazing thing, is that Jesus is the truth. It doesn't say that he will take us or lead us to the truth. It says that Jesus is the truth. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, that's a huge thing to say. He not only pointed the way and said, okay, here's, here's truth over here. There's a philosophical truth over here, and I can get you there. But, but he said, you get there, and that's where I am. That's who I am. He is the absolute truth. That's what he is. And furthermore, he spoke the truth. Uh, Matthew 22, it's an interesting passage. And these are Jesus' critics and distractors, okay? And they're trying to pin him on something. And they says they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know you're a man of integrity. Okay, now these are the people that are trying to kill him. Remember that, okay? And that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. So, you know, at that point, you go, well, okay, so what do you, what do you have against me then? You know, I mean, if, I, if I speak with integrity and I am truth, then what else do you want? Uh, you aren't swayed by men, he said, because you pay no attention to who they are. So it, it, it's really interesting to me that even those who hated Jesus and wanted to destroy him said, you are integrous and you speak in accord with the truth. You know, if, if your enemies have that to say about you, you're in pretty good shape. <laughs> you know? Okay. One commentator said this. Many, and, and uh, okay, I'll make this statement. Jesus not only is the truth and spoke the truth, but he lived the truth. One commentator said this. Many men have told us the truth, but no man ever embodied it. A man's character does not really affect his teaching of geometry or astronomy or Latin verbs. But if a man proposes to teach moral truth, his character makes all the difference in the world. An adulterer who teaches the necessity of purity, a grasping person who teaches the value of generosity, 
a domineering person who teaches the beauty of humility, an irascible creature who teaches the beauty of serenity, an embittered person who teaches about the beauty of love and forgiveness, is bound to be ineffective. Moral truth cannot be conveyed solely in words. It must be conveyed in example. That's the difference. And then he says this, the commentator, no teacher has ever embodied the truth he taught except Jesus. So Jesus didn't come just teaching us about what truth is. He embodied it. And you can look at his life and say, not only should I believe truth, I need to follow truth. Because he is truth. Many a man could say, I have taught the truth. Only Jesus could say, I am the truth. The tremendous thing about Jesus is not simply that the statement of moral perfection finds its peak in him. It is the fact Moral, it, it is the fact that moral perfection finds its realization in him. He is, and you know, the, um, we, we were talking about integrity in, in the Sunday school, and integrity is when the outside and the inside are in perfect agreement, okay? That what we say and, and what we do and how, what we live and the inside of who we are, that inner man within us, and the outside, that persona that we project to other people, are absolutely uh, synchronized. We are who we say we are. And that's the way Jesus was. His character and his teaching were absolutely in sync. He lived what he taught, and he taught what he lived. That's what is unique about Jesus. Furthermore, salvation comes through believing that Jesus is the truth. Romans 10, 8. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is, your, it is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So our eternal secure, our eternal place, where we are going to spend eternity depends upon whether we recognize that Jesus is the truth and that he is God himself. Everything depends on that. For it is with the heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you confessed and are saved. John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Now Jesus, being the truth, he says, Okay, if you believe in me, you will have eternal life. Jesus, who is the life, the source of all life, says, if you believe me, you will have eternal life. When Jesus went to be with the Father, and right before he went to be with the Father, he said um, in John 14, 16, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with, with you forever, the spirit of truth. All right. Now that's significant because you, as a Christian, as a child of God, have God's spirit dwelling within you. When we become a Christian, we are, we are born again. We are regenerated by the spirit of God. God's spirit lives within us. We have, as Christians, the spirit of truth that dwells within us. And so there's this you know, this, um, this conflict that begins to result because we have the Spirit of God within us, but we also have a sinful nature that dwells within us. And so our, our 
our Christian walk then is saying no to the sinful nature and yes to the Spirit of God who dwells within us. So that's why we as believers confess that Jesus is Lord and truth because the Spirit within us testifies about Jesus. And there's three areas where we need to have truth, okay? The first area is that we have to have truth with ourselves. All right? You ever think of that? You have to have truth yourself, within yourself. We get emotional relief and joy when we are honest about who we are and who we are not. Okay? How do we come to Christ? We come to Christ when we get honest about who we are. Lord, I am a sinner. And we come face to face, face with the stuff that's in us, and we say, Lord, I can't do it by myself. I need Jesus Christ. And that is where we get salvation. But it's also important because, you know, we all our lives, we are finding out who we are in Christ and who we are not. Let me give you an example. Um, I read... Um, a number of years ago now, a book called Quiet by Susan Cain, all right? And probably none of you have heard of it or read it or anything. Um, but she, it's a book about type B personalities or introverts, okay? And, and the world is roughly divided into extroverts and introverts. And, and I'm, a, I'm a type B person. I'm an introvert by, you know, I've, I've learned how how to socialize and so on, but basically at heart, I'm an introvert. And so she goes through that book and talks about all the, all the wonderful things that there are about introverts. And by the time I got done reading, I realized, okay, it's all right, I'm an introvert. I'm, I'm good with that now. <laughs> and I always, all my life, I wanted to, you know, I, I mean, um, you know, I've always admired extroverts, put it that way. And in America, extroverts are always, you know, they're always, we, we always, we idolize extroverts in American culture, okay? And not all cultures are like that, but in America we do. And so I always wanted to be an extrovert, but I wasn't. And so when I came to the truth about myself, oh, okay, I'm not an extrovert and that's okay, I'm, I'm good with that. And lots of us, we need to come to the place where we're good about who God made us and who were not. The Alcoholics Anonymous is found on the theory that we, we get real about who we are. And there's the three of the steps in the 12-step program. We, had, we are powerless over alcohol, that our lives have become unmanageable. We come, we come to reality, that's who I am. We believe, uh, number two, we believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. I can't do it myself, but I need something else. And third, we admit to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Okay? Ah, that's repentance. That's confession. That's repentance. Okay? And so our salvation depends upon coming to reality of who we are. And, of course, who we're not. Secondly, we need to have truth in our relationship with other people. And one of the most difficult things to deal with is deception, isn't it? Uh, you trust somebody, and it turns out that you shouldn't have put your trust in them. And I, we've all had experiences like that. Um, people that have really let us down. Our psalm this morning was, was uh, Psalm 41, was about 
uh, about a, the, David who had somebody, had a, his close friend had betrayed him. And we've all had that. Um, but the truth always sets us free because lies bring confusion and spiritual bondage. And, and it is very unnerving to, to come to the reality that people are lying to us. Proverbs 12, 19. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue lasts only a moment. And lies create a web of lies that entangle us and lead us to all kinds of sin, don't they? Proverbs 18, 21. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Exodus 12, 20, verse 16. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. One of the, one of the Ten Commandments is don't lie. So it's important that we are truthful with other people. And thirdly, it's important that we're truthful with God, that, we, that we, are, we have truth with God. And this is, that's called repentance, okay? All repentance is we come to the place where we say, you know what, God, you're right and I'm wrong. I, you know, I, I have, there's something wrong. There's, the mainspring is broken in here and I need something besides me. I need, a, I need you. I need, I need to find truth. 1 John 1, 8, following. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. Okay, so... So, repentance and, you know, our, our eternal destiny depends on us coming to the place of truth, inner truth, and realizing who we are, and realizing that we need something besides me. We need, a, we need, we need Jesus Christ. We need to have our sins forgiven. We cannot do it ourselves. Okay, so the opposite of truth is lies, of course, okay? John 8 44 and following. You, and Jesus, uh, Jesus is talking to some Jews who had believe, actually believed in Jesus, and, and he says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. Now then these, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So here, here's the Here's the point. In Satan, there is no truth. In Jesus, there is no lie. And, and when Satan speaks, whatever Satan says, it is a lie. He, he does not speak the truth about anything. There is no truth whatsoever in Satan. I wish, I, I wish our kids could know that. <laughs> you know, we, we, we listen to lies... And wherever those lies are, the problem is it's difficult, isn't it, to sort through all the lies. And so lying destroys trust and leads to confusion. You know, I always think, how much money is spent on trying to get the bottom to the bottom of some lies? And we're, we're entering into a, um, a, 
you know, a season of lies, <laughs> and it's called television advertisements about your opponent. <laughs> you know, it's, it's election season, folks, and welcome to the land of lies. <laughs> and, and basically the way that, you know, elections are be beginning to happen is that you throw a bunch of mud about your opponent up against the wall, and whatever sticks, uh, you begin to build on, okay? Okay, well, all right, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, and people believe that, at least some people believe that, so then we begin to build a whole series of lies based upon a lie. And maybe you think I'm being too harsh on politicians, but, uh, you know, over the years, that's, that's, where I, that's what I've come to believe, okay? Um, and so they build a narrative based on a lie or half-truth and then begin to build on that. And so who is a liar? A liar is somebody that denies that Jesus is the Christ. That's the, the core of it. 1 John 2. You have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Okay, now put that on and, and, and think about that. A lie is, is that we say that there is, that Jesus is not the Christ. Jesus is not divine. That is a lie. And then those that believe that, then they begin to build upon that. So everything that is a departure from truth is a lie. And the problem is that people willingly tell lies and believe lies. Anthony Flew, who was one, uh, he was one of the greatest atheists for about 50 years, and in 2007, he became a Christian. And he said this, and, it, and part of it was that uh, it was through looking at the DNA molecule, okay? And we've talked about that before, but... And he said this, when I think, what I think the DNA material has done is that it is shown by the almost unbelievable complexity of the arrangements which are needed to produce life that intelligence must have been involved in getting these extraordinary diverse elements to work together, okay? So he became a Christian by looking at the evidence, and the evidence is this DNA molecule um, that, how many years did it take him to, to map the DNA molecule? I, you know, the scientists all over the world uh, working for years just, just to map it, just to find out what it is. Um, and nobody's, of course, been able to duplicate a DNA molecule. So. When they asked Anthony Flew, his atheist friends, and, and they said, uh, and uh, let me read this. When asked how his atheist friends responded, he said this, and this is interesting. I have been, been denounced by my fellow unbelievers for stupidity, betrayal, senility, and everything else you could think of, all right? Which, you know, you kind of expect that. And then he says this, and none of them have read a word that I have ever written. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? I mean, and, and that's what I find, is that people who do not believe in Jesus, they, they, they are scared to death to actually read anything else that would contradict their supposition and their narrative that Jesus is not the Christ. As I said, you know, many Muslims, um, we get, just get, simply get them to read the Bible. They begin to read the Bible, and they, and they, they say, this has got to be true. Um, and, and another thing that happens is this. 
um, that we, we begin to build a narrative of lies and half-truths, and we, we begin to eulogize and, and, and use language that is a little bit deceptive, and, 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 then we, and then we twist some more, and we twist some more, and so it becomes, uh, you know, I mean, just give you an example. The whole debate over abortion, and it's about a woman's right to choose. Well, okay, uh, but what about the, you know, 37 and a half million women who didn't get a, didn't get a choice, who were killed in the womb? Uh, it's all about women's re reproductive health. Well, it's not about health, really. It's a, you know, and so you, you, what you do is you build, uh, you build a narrative based on half-truths that sound good but are not in actual truth. So many people, therefore, are living in a make-believe world of their own making. John 3, 19, and so on. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light. Isn't that what we find? You know, many people hate the light. You, you try to try to say, okay, well, why don't, you, why don't you like the light? I mean, it's light. And, oh, no, 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 they hate the light. And will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly, plainly that what he has done has been done through God. So, what we're facing then in our culture today is that there has been a departure from absolute truth into what we call moral relativism. And, and humanism, and this is you know, the, the basis of what we call secular humanism, and secular humanism, it starts from the place that there is no God. So if there is no God, how do we explain how man came into being? Um, how do we explain how we ought to behave? How do we explain all these basic questions uh, with the assumption that there is no God? And so humanism, exclusion of God, necessitates moral relativism. If there is no absolute truth, then there's no basis for absolute right and wrong. If there is no God, who makes the rules and who enforces them? The majority, consensus, and so we go to the polls and we say, well, you know, you know now 51% of people believe such and such. Well, okay, big deal. You know, is it truth or isn't it truth? Uh, the government, does the government dis determine truth? Well, no. In fact, we're increasingly seeing the government on the, uh, on the opposite side of truth. A dictator? The result, then, is anarchy. Everyone does that which is right in his own eyes. But what is right in the eyes, of, in your eyes, might not be right in my eyes. And that's where the problem comes down. And who's the one to resolve the differences between your idea of right and wrong and my idea of right and wrong? So what we're seeing is the breakdown of absolute truth and therefore the breakdown of right and wrong. Who will defend your rights if there's no agreed upon standard of right and wrong? And so people come up with uh, no one's opinion is superior to anyone else. All opinions are on, this, on the same basis. Your opinion is not greater than my opinion and, and so on. Well, that, that's not Jesus. 
I mean, you know, if we're Christians, somebody's opinion is, matters a whole lot more than my opinion. There's no hierarchy of truth or values. All truth is just relative. Anyone's viewpoint is just as valid as anybody else's viewpoint. We all have our own truth. And that's the culture that we live in, isn't it? We all have our own truth. 1 Corinthians 3.18, do not deceive yourselves. If any one of you thinks he is wise by the standards of this age, he should become a fool so that he may become wise. Humanist Manifesto 2 says, well, there is so much that we do not know, and this is a, you know, from the humanist perspective, well, there is so much that we do not know, humans are responsible for what we are and will become. No deity will save us. We must save ourselves. Good luck. And that's where we see ourselves going, isn't it? That's where our culture is heading. We've got to save ourselves. But we, as Christians, we know that we're made in the image of God and that God is a God of order. And the writers of our Constitution recognized, and I I'm, just took this, and we just had the, the, um, the Constitution, Constitution Day, it's called. And um, in the Declaration of Independence, it says this, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and they are, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Okay, Now that, that is central to our Judeo-Christian worldview and the, the philosophy on which our nation has been established. That government doesn't give us our rights, that we have inalienable rights which are greater than the government. And no government can come along and say, you, you don't have any rights there, you don't have property rights, or you don't, you know, you, and, and so on and so forth. Rights are given by God, not by the government. We are given rights because we are human beings made in the image of God, not because we are American citizens. And the divide in our country has come about because we have forgotten that our government was established by God and that he is the authority, not our government, not the Republican or Democratic Party. God established truth. Jesus is truth. Thank you for that amen out there. Hey, you can, you can, you can just feel that, uh, that old Pentecostal tradition. <laughs> yeah, amen, brother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, preach it, brother. <laughs> okay, so, so one foundation of humanism, then, um, and, or I'm sorry, one foundation of our, of our Constitution and our Judeo-Christian worldview is that rights are given by God, not the government. And government cannot take those truths away from us. Second thing is that men are sinners. And our founders, founded our Constitution, Declaration of Independence, our Constitution, on the, with the philosophical understanding that men are sinners, therefore we can't give absolute authority to anybody. And so we have three, we have three branches of government, the executive, the legislative, and the judicial. And, we, and none of those should have absolute power. And so we need to, you know, where, and, and there's always this temptation for one of those branches of government to cry, try to become the, the supreme authority. Well, 
none of those branches should be the supreme authority. They're, you know, because men are sinners and they need checks and balances. So the relativist maintains that everyone should be able to believe and do whatever he wants. So the problem is this, okay? And those are two examples, and we could go on and on about different examples, um, but here's the point. Our educational system, what we call modern education, is based upon secular humanism, okay? I'm talking about the, the public school system, and most of us, we talked about this last week, most of us grew up in schools that were basically secular humanists. Now, to varying degrees. I mean, there's, you know, there's always degrees in that. And humanist John Dewey, who is the, who is the founder everyone regards as the founder of modern education and co-author and signer of the Humanist Manifesto One, he said this, there is no God and there is no soul. Hence, there are no needs for the props of traditional religion. With dogma and creed excluded, then immutable truth is also dead and buried. There is no room for fixed natural law or moral absolutes. Humanists believe one should do as one feels to do. And, you know, as I said last week, we kind of look at our culture and we go, how on earth did we get here? And what happened? You know, what, where was the explosion? What, what happened here, you know? Uh, and we're seeing people doing things and we're going, how, you know, if you just even had common sense, you wouldn't go there. Why? Because, because we've been taught from an early age, through, not just through, in the educational system, but through the media and just every you know, on every side we are bombarded by this message that there is no God and right, there's no absolute right and wrong. Well, what do we do with that? Three seventeen. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. John 8, 34, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. And then this statement. So, if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So where do we go with it? We go to Jesus. Jesus is the only one who can give us freedom. He's the only one that can deliver us from sin. He's the only one who is absolute truth. And the truth always sets us free because lies bring confusion and spiritual bondage. And we just, at, at core, we've got to believe that God is on our side. And that he loves us, and that he died for us, and that he is absolute truth. And so we go to him to find, okay, Lord, you know, all this confusion that's out there, and all this stuff we're trying to figure out, we're trying to get our balance and so on. The only place we're going to find it is in Jesus Christ. It's in your prayer closet. It's in your Bible. You know, it's, it's Jesus. Jesus is the truth. So seek the truth wherever it takes you. Truth about yourself, truth about others, truth about Jesus Christ. And ask God to reveal the lies that you believed. Ask Jesus for his perspective about other people. And, and so that these lies about other people, that he would show you his perspective. You know, we have trouble with somebody, and we, you know, we're... We, we don't, we don't, we don't, you know, all of us, all of us don't like everybody, okay? We have problems with certain people. 
But I have found repeatedly, if I will ask Jesus to give me his perspective for that person, he will show me through all the fog and everything and confusion and lies and all that and show me to the heart of that person and, and most of the time then we end up really um, understanding that person, understand where they're coming from. So, so our job as Christians then is to bring people to Christ, but it means bring people to Christ through helping them to unpack the lies in their lives. Okay? So what I'm saying is we don't just go up to somebody, uh, I mean, you, sure we can, and sometimes it works, and just say, you need Jesus, <laughs> okay? Well, yeah, they do. But oftentimes, people need help in tiptoeing through all the lies they believed. So a lot of what I've found uh, in terms of evangelism is to help people listening to people and listening to where the lies are and listening to where the confusion is and helping them, being on their side, getting on their side and helping them to tip, you know, tiptoe them through those things and because at the end is Jesus. If we come absolute to the end of all the lies, there's where Jesus is. So our job is to help them to come to Jesus by helping them to unpack the lies that they believed in their lives. Father, in Jesus' name, we pray that you'll help us to, with those people, Lord, we, our heart goes, I, I, our heart just breaks for the people around us who we know that they just need Jesus and they just need somebody to listen to them. They need they need to unpack those lies, and I pray that you will give us insight um, into the lies and confusion of the people who we want to see come to you. And help us to be able to tiptoe them and help them, take them by the hand and lead them through, Lord, all the lies and the confusion and all the smoke and, 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 and all that stuff, Lord, and get down to the rock-bottom truth, who is Jesus Christ. Amen.
Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us the truth, for presenting him to us to show us how we can come close to you. Lord, we, and we know the only way is through your Son, who is the truth and the way. Lord, we, we thank you for that gift, and we ask you to help us follow that path. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>